Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Aged Americans. Wherever you are, whenever you may be listening to this, wish you health, safety, and happiness. Before we get started with today's show, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to our sponsor, Koba Coffee. That's Koba, which stands for Coffee Bar. It is caffeine-infused chocolate bars to help you stay awake, focused, and alert without having to drink a cup of coffee. If you want to try it out for yourself, head over to their website, koba.coffee, C-O-B-A dot coffee, and put in code D-A-A or podcast to get 15% off your order. And we want to thank Peter Lee and his team over at Koba Coffee for their support of the Asian Americans and Just Like Media. I am so excited to share with you my conversation with Eric Sue today. Eric is a CEO of ClickFlow, a content intelligence software company, and the chairman of Single Grain, an ad agency. And they've worked with companies such as Amazon, Airbnb, Salesforce, and Uber. He also hosts two podcasts. One is called Marketing School, which is a daily marketing podcast with his co-host, Neil Patel, and Leveling Up. And they both have combined for over three, and together, they have over 30 million downloads to date. So he knows a thing or two about podcasts, and it's such an honor to have him on our show. Eric joins us on the show to share with us his unconventional path to entrepreneurship, what he learned along the way, why he is so passionate about marketing, advertising, and content. And he shares with us a lot of lessons. So get out your notepads, take some notes. I certainly did. I learned a lot. I want to thank Eric for joining us on the show and hope you learned just as much as I did. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Eric Sue. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. Whenever you're listening to this and from wherever you're listening to us, we hope that you are staying healthy, safe, and happy. 2020 has been a hell of a year, and we are recording this with our guests today in the middle of August. And one thing that for sure we can say is that our world has turned completely, if not mostly, virtual and digital. And a lot of us are upskilling and leveling up our skills and our knowledge about the world that is digital marketing and how we can engage with you without having to be in the same room. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you've listened to other podcasts, and this is a medium that is certainly picking up. And through other medium in terms of social communities and virtual communities, that is going to be a more and more commonplace. Uh, my guest today is somebody that I've been a big fan of. Um, I do think that he is one of the smartest guys in this space and is extra cool that he is Asian American. And I think that actually plays a lot of extra cool factor for me and other young folks who have somebody to look up to in this industry and in this space to uh, help us dream that we can be like him one day, or at least know that we can come from the same place and talk about the same stuff. So really, really excited and an honor of mine to introduce Eric Sue. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Thanks for all the kind words. Hey, man. Uh, how are things in 2020 for you? You know what? I mean, um, I talk to a lot of my founder friends, those that are in the digital space, and we don't broadcast this everywhere, but um, things are going well. Just kind of across the board, things are going well. Even on the, one of the businesses is the ad agency, even that business is up. And so um, who knows what's going to happen? We're in the middle of it. You know, the, the Fed is still printing money right now. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen when that stops, um, you know, and maybe that's when, I don't know, destruction starts to happen. But um, right now we're we're cautiously optimistic and things are going things are going good and I think um, it's things have accelerated a lot. We'll just put it that way. Before we learn about the history of Eric and sort of how you became this digital marketing maven that you are today, um, give us a little bit of context and share with the audience 
some of the businesses that you're involved with and some of the projects and some of the, how people might know Eric Sue today? Yeah, I think the first thing is I have a podcast called Marketing School, which I do with another marketer named uh, Neil Patel. He's well-known. Um, it's funny, we're ranked number one in India. He's Indian. Um, and then in Asian countries, we're like Hong Kong, Taiwan, you know, we're ranked pretty high on the marketing side as well. Um, so, you know, we kind of cover, you know, the different, uh, we're model minorities, I guess. But number two would be the other podcast I have called Leveling Up. Um, it used to be called something else, but I actually have levelingup.com now. And it's funny you said the word earlier. And um, so I like, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy learning a lot. And I think that's what's helped me build um, all, you know, all the projects I've been working on. So earlier I mentioned I have an ad agency called Single Grain. Uh, notable clients would be like the Ubers, the Amazons of the world. And we work with a lot of SaaS companies, so software companies. And the other thing I have is a SaaS company called ClickFlow. And it just helps um, people grow their, their SEO traffic, their organic traffic. And so other than that, uh, marketing school has a lot of stuff tied to it. We have a virtual event. We have a live event when that comes back. So we have a lot of balls up in the air. But what we've learned, uh, both Neil and myself, is that, you know, we just need to start up these projects and then go hire good operators or even go buy other businesses that are available that we can plug into our audience. So it's very much audience first. And that all starts from learning and then teaching. Build that audience and then you can plug things in around it. Me saying leveling up was definitely not an accident. Um, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so you do all these businesses, you're, you're the face and the voice, a lot of these various projects, which to some might sound very disparate and siloed, but the thing that weaves together is just basically human psychology and business, right? How do we get people to react? How do we get people to do something, whether it is an advertising campaign for your customers or your clients, or getting somebody to go from a podcast listener into your community and obviously into a different funnel that can, you know, help you generate more income and teach them and then bring value to them. Um, as I mentioned before, I think you are one of the premier uh, voices in this space today. And obviously you being Neil and you and Neil being Asian American definitely, I think, helps. As you mentioned, you're big in Asia, as they say, uh, yeah. which helps. But sort of in this digital and virtual world that we are living more and more in, where you live and where your customers are don't matter anymore. Um, and we are truly becoming more and, you know, the hyperspeed of globalization, not from a where you make your products for cheaper perspective, but where do you get content and how do you find your customers? The walls are being torn down as we speak. Um, let's learn more about you. Tell us about the Sioux family. How did they become Chinese American and share with us a little bit more about your earlier years? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, I'm trying to get this book done on my parents right now. I'm actually going to, I'm probably going to hire a company to do it. But what I was doing initially before COVID hit was I would I would bring my phone and I'd have a little microphone plugged into it. And during dinner, I would ask just ask some questions. So, you know, dad, tell me about your childhood. Mom, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your high school. And all they could talk about was how hard they studied, blah, blah, blah. And just kept talking about school. It was like boring. And they want to give me the meat, right? Um, so what I can tell you from what I know is that my dad came here for college, um, you know, went to University of Wyoming. So his English is good. Um, mom came here, started working at American Express. And, um, you know, somehow they met. They, they got married a little later, um, probably because my mom's really picky. And um, then what happened was they, they had me. Um, I think my dad was 37, 38 years old. My mom was maybe 36. So they had me late. And I was supposed to have a bro I'm, I'm going into details now. So I... I was supposed to have a brother, but uh, mom got food poisoning, so he went bye-bye. And then my mom, I was supposed to have a sister too, but then my mom decided not to have the sister um, because she was really sick at the time. So 
you know, there's that. I don't know how people feel about abortion, but that's what she did. Anyway, so it ends up, it's just me. So it's lonely growing up. And uh, we grew up in a suburb. Um, I, I actually was born in downtown LA, which is where I live right now. And then um, grew up in Arcadia, where all the Asians grew up. It was actually 50-50, Caucasian and Asian growing up. And then by the time I left, it was maybe like 85, 90%. It was so funny because my senior high school teacher shows up, passes a picture around. It's like the 80s. It's like, look at the picture, guys. It's like, everyone's white. And then, and then she passed another picture around. It's like last year's, you know, graduating class, all Asian people, right? She's like, what do you guys think? Clearly a racist teacher, right? Maybe not, but maybe she's just joking. So anyway, um, that's what happened. I had a great group of, um, great group of friends, Asian American friends. Um, we all played games together. We played Starcraft, played Counter-Strike, all those games. And, um, you know, we just had a good time. And um, yeah, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, but um, other than that, I didn't really care for school. All I wanted to do in school, here, here's the thing. The only thing I excelled at uh, from elementary school to high school was games, right? Computers, online stuff, and games. And I didn't play in any team sports. Sure, I was on the drum line. That's like the only competitive thing I did. But um, I learned everything I needed to know in business a lot. Communication, moving quickly, um, you know, grit, all the things like needing to wake up, you know, early in the morning, like two, three a.m. to go kill a kill a boss in World of Warcraft, all these things, right? And so, you know, I my parents, you know, they would hide the keyboard from me. They would do all these crazy things. But the only, I think this is my word of encouragement for anybody that plays games right now. It's games are actually important. Like games are becoming more and more popular. Like look at sports, right? Just look at the trends. You got to look at where where the puck is going. And so, you know, I just knew back then that. If I could take my gaming passion and apply it to something in life, I would be fine. But along that way, that that journey, I, I couldn't figure it out. I was lost along the way. So I almost got kicked out of college. Um, I ended up, so yes, I graduated from UCSD, but here's the story behind that. I went to um, graduate UC San Diego, but I went to UC Riverside first, right? But And every Asian makes fun of that, right? My parents are like, you shouldn't be here, blah, 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 whatever. And by the way, like I had a decent SAT score, but it was tough that those years. Who knows, right? Um, so went to UC Riverside, almost got kicked out because I played too much World of Warcraft or I just went to the casino all the time. And um, I just didn't care about school. And then when I went to UC, so I got into UCSD. I barely, like I took my GP up. I barely got in. I was like, this is for my parents. You know, this is what they care about. And my mom wants to brag to everyone that I at least went to a good UC. It was all for my mom. And what happened was UCSD rescinded my application. So they took my application back because my, my grade started uh, going down again, right? I started to regress. And so what happened there was I learned something about something called persistence. And so I took my car, drove all the way down from LA to UC San Diego, met up with a chancellor. Chancellor said, bug off, right? I drove all the way back up, came down again. I was like, no, I can't give up. Met the chancellor again. She said, bug off. We drove back up, drove down a third time. And then just, okay, okay, fine, fine. So then, so then I basically forced my way back into UC San Diego graduated and got a dead-end job. This is right after the financial crisis. Um, I was doing data entry, right? But so like, and then the worst part of that was the, there was a, I was 22 years old at the time. There's a guy that was 30 years old, graduated from Harvard, doing the exact same thing I was doing. And I was like, oh man, this is it. So I was like, this, this is it. So <laughs> I'm like, I got to do something. And at that point, my, my, um, one of my good friends, she now works at Airbnb. She's like, hey, you should look at this internet marketing thing. And then from that point on, you know, I, I really never looked back. So anyway, that's a long-winded story. All right. So I'm going to recap. You played video games since you were a kid. Yes. And when you, when you went to college, and, and for folks who may not know, 
there's a casino out there by UC Riverside that was 18 and over at the time. They've yes. since changed to 21. So you'd go constantly find UCR students there. Mm. So we played video games, somehow got to college, gambled, probably was good at it. So the, the, and then now you are a very successful entrepreneur. I stayed an and, extra and, year in college just so I can play more poker. So I got a minor in history just so I can play more poker. Um, I never told that, my that's San Diego? That. Yeah. Yeah. We're, to play we're, more online poker. So. Ah, that's when online was still. Still, yeah, no Black Friday yet. So it was good still ish. Live. Yeah. That's, wow. Okay. So lessons learned from gaming we got. Um, tell us a little bit more about the conversations with your parents, right? Because significantly, significant pressure on you, I imagine, being the yeah. only child. Yeah. Um, your parents successful in their own right had you a little bit older, uh, which I'm assuming or can gather that their views might be a little bit more traditional than had your parents been 23, 24. Yeah. Um, they hit your keyboard. Obviously, you know, I think those of us who grew up in that era, um, video games progress very quickly. Um, but even if it was just like the Super Nintendo, it was just like, I want to play. Mm-hmm. And our parents really, you know, because they didn't grow up with it. Yeah. So they're like, what is this? And it's distracting. And even today, a lot of folks have a hard time seeing the line between video games as a career, yeah. not even business game or business as a career, or video games as a career, but the things that you can learn from video games to then, you know, have it be a career thing. So what, what did your parents want you to be and, and how did you deal with that in your head? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think you get the typical answer. They, they, my dad's like, you know, be a pharmacist. My dad, my mom is like, be a, um, be an accountant. They wanted me to be safe, right? Um, I think there's lawyer engineer. So I guess they actually saw me as lesser. They didn't really expect me to be a doctor. They didn't expect me to be an engineer. But they're like, yeah, just go be, uh, go be an accountant or pharmacist. Like you're gonna be set. I think they just wanted me to make at least you know a hundred grand a year or something like that, and um, that's it. So I think, look, I think it all comes from a good place. I think they, as the only child, they, they care about me. They want, even today, they still like don't understand what I do and they still think it's it's not safe, right? They're like, you should go get an MBA right now. I'm like, and do what, right? So, You're teaching MBAs. Yeah, exactly. But they don't <laughs> they don't get it. They're like, you, right. you teach at USC, how does that make any sense? Like you'd even go to, like you'd even graduate with a good GPA or whatever. I'm like, whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So when did you, so what did you want to be then? I mean, obviously, did you think that, did you know the lessons you were learning growing up? In hindsight, we know that those things taught you the valuable lessons of speed and logic and teamwork and dedication and grit, as you mentioned. But knowing that you didn't want those safe jobs that your parents were nudging you towards, what did you want to be? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, I just wanted to have fun. So honestly, right now, when I wake up in the morning, I just feel like I'm playing a game. Like, it's just like, you know, I had to get ready before this. I was showering. And then all of a sudden in my mind, I'm just like, I'm just like, you know, can I cuss on this podcast? Yes. Yeah. So I was just like, fuck yeah. Right. Like out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like, because like so many things, I'm just like, I, I'm really grateful for my team, all the things that they're doing. I'm just like, a lot of things are cranking right now. They're moving. And I was just really excited. Like genuinely, that's exactly what I said in the shower. So um, I just want to have fun. And that's what I get to do with business is a very um, open canvas. It could be starting a YouTube channel. That to me is a business. It could be go selling flowers, right? You're selling stuff on everyone's starting Shopify stores right now, selling courses. So there's so many different things you can do. Plus you're making an impact. And that's just a nice self-reinforcing loop. Um, and it scales well too. Like you can you can make a difference. Like um Versus games, like you can't really make as big of a difference, but, um, you know, that's what, that's what it is. 
How did you go from data entry and feeling, holy crap, if a 30-year-old with a Harvard degree is doing this, I don't, where, where do we go from here? Yeah. And you said you were encouraged by your friend uh, who, who now works at one of the biggest tech companies in the world, um, who, by the way, probably going through their own fair share of challenges given COVID-19 stuff. Yeah. But um, how did you, what was the first moment where you're like, okay, I understand internet marketing and how did you get your, your toes wet first? Yeah. So what happened was um, when she told me, I started looking into it and then I just started applying for a bunch of internships. And there's this one internship, it was on Craigslist and it was a long form copy ad. It, it read like an ad. It was a long form sales letter, basically. Hmm. Um, I was like, oh, this company looks like they're putting a lot more effort into recruiting. And I applied. I had to jump through all these hoops. And um, I eventually got it. They, so they hired a, a cohort of 12, 13 interns. And now I realize what they did. They, they were just trying to hire a bunch of people to write a bunch of articles um, for SEO purposes. But I'm still friends with those people. They oh. are, it was a healthy vending machine at the time. It was called Human Healthy Vending. And um, eventually it became Snack Nation. And oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm still friends with them right now. It, it was, they're at zero in revenue. Now they're doing like 25, 30 million bucks a year. But I'm really good friends with them. And um I learned a lot. So what I would do was um, I would go to my full-time job. I changed my hours. So I worked from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then um, I would come home in Arcadia, still living with my parents. And then uh, about you know 2 p.m. to about 10 or 11, I would just study because he gave me a lot of – they gave me a lot of access to courses. Um, and I would just read everything I could and then I would read forums and stuff. So I was just you know drinking from the fire hose. And um, after the internship ended, it was like two, three months – um, I was able to get my first job. So I, I, my salary, by the way, just in case this helps people, my data entry job was $32,000 a year coming out of UCSD. Amazing, right? Um, couldn't pay anything. And so um, then I, I got my first job. It was, it was like $45,000 a year. And I was leading a lot of you know, marketing initiatives at this company. It was funny. It's, it was called Arcadian Lighting, which is where I'm from. So, so they actually started the company, like terrible name, by the way. Um, so I was doing a lot of things. They were trying to launch this new initiative, like a social network for interior designers, like smart idea. Um, they were doing e-commerce. So I learned a lot, but I left in like two months because I felt like my growth opportunity was capping out. So my first year after my data entry job, I changed jobs five times and my parents were panicking. They're like, no, you got to stay somewhere. You got to get pension, blah, blah, blah. So here's another lesson. If you find yourself capping out on growth, forget the money, chase the opportunity. And um, from there, you know, I, got, I went to go work at an e-commerce store. Didn't like it. Left in a month, right? Went somewhere else. Stayed there three months. Left. Didn't like it, right? Within a year, I went from 32000 to 100000 a year um, just from knowing digital marketing. And I still think a lot of people can do that right now. It's so, to me, it's very simple to learn. What are some lessons that you can share specifically? Because there are people that are stuck in really shitty jobs that are not making them happy. A lot of bad bosses out there and bad cultures out there that are taking advantage of the work for home situation and making people work even longer. Um, yeah. and, and people are miserable, but also people are scared, scared of the unknown and thinking that a job, a shitty job with shitty pay is better than no job with no pay. Yeah. Um, wh what do you have for those folks? I think for anyone that's, that's concerned right now about kind of the current economic climate, I like, I hate to say this, I hope I'm wrong, but I think it's going to get worse. So what you can do right now is you can take advantage. The, the, the people, people right now, during these times, people make generational wealth. So can you pick up the skills you need to pick up right now? Listen, look, 
listen to podcasts like this, listen to marketing school. There's a lot of people that listen to marketing school that had no degree before. And then they would message me back and say, oh, now I'm getting paid six figures or their business was, was tanking. And now they're actually profitable. They made like a couple hundred grand or whatever. Um, and so you have to take advantage of your own situation right now. And, um, you know, it's, it's your life. It's, you get to define, you know, what happens next, right? You don't want to let things happen to you. You don't want to be a victim and you don't want to be out there blaming everyone else. Um, that's a sad life. You don't want to live life with regrets. So you take advantage. There's a lot of reskilling opportunity right now. There's a lot of free stuff out there. You can go to codecademy.com. You can go to Khan Academy, listen to marketing school for free. We're actually, there's Lambda school as well. You can do an income share agreement. We're actually planning to do something like that for, for marketing school as well. But, um, there's no reason not to take your life into your own hands right now and be able to say, you know what, um, I'm going to make a bigger impact. Like, you know, the only reason why people aren't able to go from, you know, 32K to 50K to 100K or whatever is just, it's all in the mind. Like it's all in the mindset. It's like, I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. Cause I used to feel that way before too. I'm not good enough. Um, you know, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve, you know, I don't deserve to date, you know, um, you know, awesome people. I don't deserve a, I don't deserve a great salary. I don't deserve a nice car. I don't deserve this, blah, 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 blah. It's all this negative self-talk. And I used to think this mindset thing was like, oh my God, that's like, you know, you know, stuff that's pie in the sky and um, you can't really put something around it. But now I realize mindset and your health is every single thing. So I'm kind of going all over the place right now, but all these things, they all come together. I, I don't, I mean, yes, in, in a, in a silo, they seem all over the place, but I think contextually, given where you've come from and where you are now, it makes total sense. And I say this with many of our guests, it's more important than people realize that you're saying it, right? Because you grew up with traditional Asian parents. I did too, right? Um, you know, I, I got, uh, I don't know, I got tricked into taking the LSAT. I didn't end up going to law school, but, yeah. you know, my mom got me to thinking about law school enough to go take the LSAT a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I went to business school later in my life on my own accord, but you know, yeah, my parents were pleased about it because they're like, oh, grad school, right? Check. Yeah. Right. And and so I, I think those things that come from the mouths of people who know what they're talking about, you know, I know there's a lot of other people talking about mindset and stuff like that. And if they don't look like me and you, the context part, I think falls flat just a little bit yeah. because it's how do you deal with the mindset in the context of having very, very limited expectation Asian parents, right? Mm-hmm. And and even just to share your own story of I broke through it and here's how, and you're not going to yeah. do it exactly the way I did, but I'm a test case that you can and be wildly successful and still have my parents not know what the hell I do for a living. Yeah. Like, and that's okay. And and so I, I think that's, you know, really, really powerful that you're saying it. Um, you know, I shared with you before I recorded and I want to share with the audience, like I saw your first podcast, a video of it, uh, with Chris Stowe, who owns Future, and he's a design god, basically. And yes, the stuff that you guys were talking about was super cool, but I was like, wait a minute. These two guys, two Asian brothers, are just dishing out knowledge that would people would pay thousands of dollars for. And there's going to be some kid out there who looks like us who's going to get so inspired by just watching that conversation and decide to change their life around, either right. by doing something or quitting something that they should have never been doing in the first place. So I think that's super cool. Um, One thing I want to add real quick, Terry, yeah. I think this is really important. I think um, usually what happens in Asian cultures, and I find that my it's kind of manifesting within me too, at least from my mom, you know, you get the beat down. It's constantly beat down. It's constant pressure. Um, and I would encourage people to reframe that as 
use it as fuel, use it as strength. And so I, I work with a, an, an executive coach right now, but you know, one of the first things we discovered um, was that I have this propensity and this is in my strengths finder, which is like a personality test. One of my top five strengths is it's, I don't know if it's a strength, but it's, it's competitiveness. Right. And so I had a propensity to want to prove my parents wrong constantly. And so if you feel that you're getting, you know, pressure from your parents and then you have friends that are looking down, I, I certainly had friends that, that are looking down on me. I, I even had friends I heard a couple of years ago say, hey, look at Eric, you know, that guy had nothing going for him. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, look at him now, almost as if it was luck. Right. But you want to don't get angry at that. Use it as strength, right? Use it as power. Um, and you're going to get even stronger than that. So if you reframe it, it's a mindset thing. Um, you're going to go a lot further. And what I would recommend is go read blogs like Farnham Street. Um, there's He has great books on mental models. There's another one called Super Thinking. And um, just reposition things. You're almost playing, you know, you're, you're, you're doing uh, judo, right, mentally. And um, you're just going to get stronger. Like every time someone says something about me, says, and by the way, you're going to get stronger in business. There's always going to be people hating on you. Right. Um, but that to me is a chance to get even better. So, yeah, I, you know, the, the, the hater part, I think, is really, really interesting because if you look at an entrepreneur's journey, an artist's journey, and these are all people who build something of their own, right? Um, people hate on them while they're building, and then they want to get on the guest list once you make it big. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the joke that we share amongst at least the Korean community is like, you know, your parents won't consider you a success until the Korea Times covers you, right? <laughs> and so we have these like weird definitions of like, it's, you're legit because you have validation from a source that I trust. Yeah. But until then, you know, it's, I, I think, you know, what is it now? Like, you know, 10 plus years, 15 plus years after college. Like if we look at our friends who started building like you did early on, and now you're trying to compare, you know, 15 plus year experience, Eric, with the Eric that they have in their mind, who was the guy that couldn't keep a goddamn job for a year. Yeah. Right. Or went to go play poker. Right. And then, mm -hmm. so that's, I think also sort of the growth mindset is that people will always judge you very much in the very earlier chapters, how they first saw you. Yep. This is what the problem of like, you have to go to another organization if you really want to be a leader, because you're always going to be that summer intern to some asshole who's not going to give you the chance. It's a good point. Because it's, it's, they frame you and they block you and you know, and this is even a bigger issue within the Asian community, right? Because we have different words for it, depending on how old or how experienced you are. And, um, and so, you know, you have to give yourself grace. You have to give other people grace. And right. more importantly than that, like who gives a shit what other people think about you? Because if they ain't paying your rent, if they ain't paying for yourself, like, sorry, you know, yeah. you're, you're trying to build your own legacy at this point. So um, that's cool, man. I, I think there's a lot of listeners out there who are, you know, trying to deal with not just COVID-19 related stuff, but even just what do I do with my life? Because um, our parents, unfortunately, have tied really, really big buzzwords like honor and legacy and respect to actual job titles, mm -hmm. not how we are as a human being. And so if you're out there and your um, parents are punking you into, I don't know, going to law school or whatever, um, if that's what you really want to do, go. But if you're doing it just to please your parents, um, Eric and I are here to share with you, maybe take a pause. And listen yeah, to some no, of his that, podcasts. That's well yeah. said. I, I mean, it's it's about what you ultimately want. It's your life. It's your book. And so I, I think the parents, by the way, your parents all come from a good place. They just want you to be safe. Yep. I, I mean, look, our parents immigrated here, most of our parents. And so they were trying, they were survival mode in a foreign country. And they succeeded by raising us with the opportunities to do even greater things. 
And so we can't really fault them for not being able to understand, comprehend, and and process all that. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. So you went through a, a, few, a year or two of jumping around. You learned a whole bunch of new stuff. You built your own salary from 30-something to 100-plus. Um, how long, what is the process that you took to learn the skills while being paid to do them? Yeah. And, and when and take us through that process. Yeah, that's a good question. I remember um, for Arcadian Lighting, so I was driving from Arcadia, California to Chino Hills. That's about a 30-minute drive every morning. And this is pre-audible. So what I would do is I would find, um, there's this website I would go to that had a bunch of business torrents. And so I would download a bunch of business books and then uh, burn them onto CDs. And I would just listen to a bunch. So one of the first I was listening to was called uh, Lynchpin by Seth Godin. And Lynchpin is just basically about becoming indispensable to um, your boss, right? You don't want to just be another cog in the machine. So then I was like, okay, what else can I download? So I was downloading all these things. Like what else are people recommending, blah, blah, blah. So I was just listening to a lot of audiobooks. I was reading a lot too. And I would come home and I would read all these different forms, right? There's marketing, there's uh, black hat, you know, SEO forms, there's good marketing forms too. I just wanted all these different perspectives. So I think the, the, the word I would say is curiosity. I think curiosity on all sides, right? If there's a white hat way of doing things, if there's a black hat way, it's good to understand things. And maybe there's a way to combine the both. You Maybe you do black hat things in a white hat way, right? Um, so, you know, I think it was just a thirst for learning and I think there's another Asian driver in it because my parents made me feel like it's never good enough, right? It's never quite good enough. So then you have to keep going. It's never quite good enough. And it's gotten to the point now where talking with my coach last week, I was looking at my 360 reviews from one of the teams and the entire theme around it, one one bit of feedback for me is slow down. But it's funny how you realize that all the things that you're doing in the past have to do with your childhood. So that's one thing I would, going back to your childhood, you know, if you ever work with a coach in the future, you know, 200 bucks, 500 bucks per session, whatever it is exactly, you'll uncover a lot of these things that you're like, oh, I'm doing a lot of these behaviors because they're still my childhood behaviors. And I didn't realize it. I think it's good to identify that. So um, that's kind of a little bonus around that. And now I forgot your original question. So why did, or how long did you want to continue to learn on somebody else's dime before you felt confident enough to oh, do it oh. yourself? Yeah. So I think, um, I got fired by, by, um, okay. So here's what happened. I, when I was making the hundred grand, I was working at a company called break media. And what happened was, um, they, cause I was getting bored, right? Again, I wasn't growing again. So I was tapping. I was like, I don't want to go look for another job again. Like, yes, my salary went up each time. Yes. I got a lot more responsibilities, but again, I found, felt like I was hitting a wall, like this nine to five thing that I was sold by my parents, get a good job and then work nine to five. Like, it just didn't resonate with me because when I played games, I would play to like three, four, seven a.m. in the morning. Like I like to keep going, and so again, going back to childhood. But um, so Break Media discovered I, I started a consulting website called Evergreen Search, right? And Break was one of the logos in there. You know, I used to work at an agency, so I put some other logos in there: Toyota, blah blah blah. And then um, what a prospect reached out to the front desk at Break and then inquired about me. And what happened was the next day, the COO calls me in and said, hey, we're going to have to let you go. He shows me a printout of the thing. And now that I, I think about it, I'm like, that actually doesn't make any sense because I actually tell a lot of my um, team members, I encourage them to do side projects. Like my my uh, my my video producer, he has a podcast on dating right now. He's learned so much from the podcast that I do because he helps a lot with it. And I'm always like, you know, in Instagram, I'm you know commenting. I'm like, you're doing a great job. Like I'm encouraging people because whatever he learns comes back to me. It does help. You know what I mean? So anyway, I got fired. Um, and at that point, I was like, okay, you know, 
probably start to, time to start doing my own thing. And um, I never looked back from there. What I would say is learning on someone else's dime. I never really, um, I never really got to apply a lot of the things that I wanted to try. And that's mm -hmm. the problem of working somewhere else. You get limited. Like I would say things and I'll get shot down and be like, oh no, we're going to talk about that later. Right. But I'm just like, no, we can do it right now. So um, I would just add that caveat. I think it's important to also touch upon the point that it's really who you work for with whom I think is far more important than people ever talk about in the spectrum of, you know, um, it's what you, what most people are concerned about what you do. And obviously, you know, the, the why movement with, with Simon and Simon Sinek and, the, you know, that movement was like, find your purpose. Cool. But then we don't really often talk about who is working with you because, and that who or whom dictates the culture in which you can thrive or be shot down every time you raise your voice because you understand the long game of nurturing the people around you because it makes you more valuable. This is like when you do well, your parents get the credit at church or with their friends. <laughs> this is literally the same thing where yep. if the employee does well, you know, like consulting companies are really good at this, right? Like they understand that it's not a forever business. And so, you know, the, the newest president of the Washington football team is a McKinsey partner. You don't think they're going to milk that in their marketing for the rest of their lives? That mm. one of their own is the first black president of a National League football team? Like, that's smart. That's long-term yeah. mindset. The, the CEO of Break Media who called you in, like, they're trying to protect, I, I think it's a, it's a version of scarcity mindset. Like, wait yeah. a minute, what is this guy doing? He's going rogue. He's going to ruin yeah. our brand. Instead yeah. of like, wait a minute. What if we let everybody do what Eric did and are, you know, we, we give them the freedom to, to go and evangelize the break media name. And so there's no wrong or right way. If you own your own business, you can do run it however the way you see yeah. fit. But you as the employee, I think also have to realize that it is not as a one way street as you think you think it is. It's not as a one way of a street that people have told you that it is that it's a mutually beneficial relationship and also realize that if they're paying you a hundred bucks, they're making about 300 bucks on you. For and sure. Whether that's you generating revenue or you doing accounting, even though you're a quote unquote cost center, like you bring value to them and that's why they pay you far less than your value. That's the only way business works, right? I mean, so, that, that's, that's the game. It's leverage. It's hiring is the highest leverage thing you can do. So they're always going to make way more than whatever they're paying you. Right. And just yeah. to make your life easier, right? Like if there's something I hate doing, I'm going to pay somebody else to do it. And so that there is that pain point. Um, so now we are finally at that stage in your career where it is Eric, the entrepreneur. Um, how did you, what was your first thing? You said you had Evergreen. So you was doing a little bit of consulting on the side. Yeah. Did that grow into something else? I will say there's a couple of failures before that. When I was working at an agency, um, I bought a magic website called Magic Wiz. And uh, we sold this one trick that would like, you hold your hand out and then you have a ring like flying around. Um, that one didn't work out. So I learned a lot about partnerships there. Like you have to pick your partner as well. Mm -hmm. Um and so I had a little, like, you know, I had the consulting thing on the side. I was doing some consulting on the side as well. And um, at that time already, I will tell you at age 25 or so, I wrote an answer on Quora, the questionnaire answer site. And mm -hmm. I got a side deal that paid me 30 grand a month. Um, and I was doing SEO consulting, right? And I was like 25 at the time. Wow. Um, I also was doing some consulting on Upwork. Here's the other thing I forgot to leave, to, to add in. Um, there's a company, I was doing SEO work for a, a company uh, based in Philadelphia and they're a t-shirt company and they offered me 250 grand and like a percentage of profit sharing to move from LA to Philly 
And that was a big lesson at the time because it didn't resonate with me. I was like, but you know, your parents would be like, take the job. You know what I mean? How like, do you say no to that money? Yeah. At, at the time I was, I was at the hundred already. Right. And I was like, it doesn't work. Philly sucks. So that, that's, that's, my, that's my opinion. I don't want to be cold. Right. Like I like the California weather. Um, and so, you know, that taught me a lot. And so I was successful with the consulting stuff. I had the e-commerce, you know, I had these key lessons. And um, one thing I left out was after I was fired by break, I was doing the consulting thing for a little bit. And then I got hired as a VP of marketing for a tech startup. So I think anybody that's listening to this right now that wants to put a lot of stress on them to learn, not like, I'm not saying bad stress. This is good stress, right? You need the stressors to grow. And I recommend reading the book, Anti-Fragile. Um, you need things to stress you. Like when you're working out, you get stronger, right? Um, and so the startup experience taught me a lot because I had a team. It was my first time ever firing someone. Um, you know, first month into it, the CEO pulls me aside and said, hey, there's 80 people's families. They're riding on your shoulders. And if you know hit numbers by the next month, we're going to have to let you go. This is first month into the job. Um, and what I did was, Coming back, coming back to my poker game days, uh, poker days, um, I looked at something in analytics. I looked at an ad campaign that was successful but was shut down for whatever reason. I bet the entire company on YouTube ads, and it worked out. So um, you know, all in, right? And um, eight months into the job, I left again. So I just can't hold the job for the life of me um, because I had the opportunity to come in as a partner for the ad agency, Single Grain, mm. and so they offered me you know, uh, 10% of the company, a good salary, whatever, to help save the company. Because they saw me, uh, quote unquote, you know, the last company, I, I helped save it because uh, we taught people how to do, you know, online uh, coding, coding and web design, right? And so um, I was able to work with a great product, a great team, and uh, I just had to add marketing to it. This scenario, I was like single grain, the Google algorithm updates hit. So the business model was no longer working. The SEO work that they were doing, the consulting work was no longer working. Um, so they're like, look, you saved this company, come help this one. And I was like, hmm, well, this seems like a house of cards, A. B, it's like, but at the same time, the upside is unlimited because if I can join the company and um, you know, I get a percentage of the company, I'll learn a lot, worst case scenario. But in this case, service, and, service slash product is no longer working. It's not the best team. And, um, and plus I have to add marketing to it as well to make it work. And, um, I joined the company and a year into it, there's four other partners. Um, so it was one yellow guy and four Brown guys. Um, so Neil was a partner as well, by the way. So it was four Indian guys, one, one, uh, one, I guess, Chinese guy. And, um, they're like, you know what? The original founder, he's like, you know what? I want out. I want to go do something else. But he's like, Hey, but Eric, why don't we, why don't we try this? Why don't we do it 50, 50? And I was like, no, not interested. I think I, maybe I'll just go find another job if it's 50, 50. So I basically declined his offer to go 50, 50 as a partner. And, and then I was like, Hey, how about I take over the whole thing? And then what ended up happening was Neil calls me. He's like, dude, don't take over, like leave. Like this thing's not worth anything. There's no brand equity. Um, you should go. And I was like, you know what? My thinking was if I take over the company, my upside would be unlimited because I could take whatever cash I generate from it if I make it work and deploy it into all these other things. I see it as, you know, an investment vehicle. And so um, what ended up happening was I bought the company for $2. So um, $1 was for Neil shares for 10%. Another dollar was for Heat and Shaw's uh, shares. So he's another uh, well-known product guy in, in Silicon Valley. And then the other guys, it was a, it was a payout. Um, and the contingency was on the payout. It's a six-figure payout. But if the company were to fail, I would owe nothing. So I, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was basically negotiating my little mergers and acquisitions deal right there. And so got the deal done. 
And um, yeah, I'm happy to elaborate more on what happened after that. But yeah, it was, uh, that's what happened. Let's talk about that, what you were thinking about that time though, right? So you got yourself into a 10% deal based on your experience, right? Your, your mm-hmm. reputation, basically. Yeah. And at the time that the original founders wanted out, you offered them, it's $2 up front. You obviously ended up paying out the other stuff because it ended up being a success. But you leveraged and capitalized on somebody else's change of heart in wanting to do this business the way they saw fit. Right. Why take that risk? And, and what did you believe about the business or yourself that, I mean, Neil is one of your you know, closest confidants and partner and everything yeah. that you do now. Um, against his advice, what was the thing in your gut that said go? I think um, probably the biggest thing, this goes back to, you know, growing up, it's, it's, can I prove people wrong? That's one thing, right? Can I also prove to myself? Because the most important thing was if I can get through this exercise, I, and I told myself this, I was like, if I can make this work, I can make anything work. Um, and so I saw that as a challenge because it was like, there's so much odds stacked against me. And at the same time, but it's an asymmetric risk. Um, and so like the downside is way higher or sorry, the upside is way higher than the downside. And again, like able to, I, I'm basically doing that now and I'm happy to talk about what's, what's happening now. But um, I just was like, look, I can go work in another company. And over the years, by the way, I've gotten offer for jobs that would pay like, you know, um, like a million dollars in bonuses or one was even like a, like, you know, a couple, a couple years ago, it was like a, like an eight figure signing bonus or whatever. And um but you know what I realized, I, th- I think people need to think for themselves, it's what's important to you. And for me, it's it's freedom. It's being able to do what I want and because I know what I think I need to do and not essentially having a boss um, and just playing the game how I want to play it. So People have to realize that whatever you do, you're building somebody's empire. Yep. And at some point, and this is not for everybody, and I don't want to come off crass like, you know, there's no shame in working for other people, right? Like there's no, um, absolutely no shame. However, if you are audacious enough to want to dream about your own empire, what are you doing now so that eventually one day you can turn your working hours into building your own? Because somebody, if you take money from somebody, an empire is being built. In most cases, it's a faceless and nameless large public entity that institutional investors own. And so there's not even a human benefit to it. It's just money being exchanged hands for profit maximization. Mm-hmm. So like that, that in my opinion, I think that's the worst. Um, I, I work for some of those public companies and I was like, yeah. why am I, why am I physically getting sick for whose benefit? Some, you know, faceless shareholder that's probably Vanguard, right? Like <laughs> why, why am I killing myself and why are millions of people feeling that work is so important that we're physically making ourselves sick. And even through this pandemic, even more so like, yeah prioritizing that over being a good parent or taking care of our own health. And so consider that. And I think the things that Eric works in full time now are all things that you can definitely start to dabble and to learn. And I don't think there's ever been a time in history where there's been so much free resources to go and to learn. Um, It's, I think it's, yeah, you can read books for free. Literally, you can join webinars, you can follow people on Twitter. I know you're a big, big fan on Twitter. And you even you Instagram about Twitter arbitrage, which I think is fascinating, (laughs) telling Instagram people you're missing out because you're not on Twitter. Um, I spend a lot of my time on LinkedIn and to be able to connect with people that are just like, have no business connecting with them, 
right? Well, yeah, I have, I, I'm not like putting myself down, but like, it's hard, even if you went to a conference where they were the speaker to get a conversation with them and you can get attention that way. So there's a lot of lessons that I think you are, you know, sharing with us in all this. Um, and before we go into what you're working on now and what 2020 has been, um, you mentioned this a few times that you see that you are humble enough and willing to take feedback and criticism from a growth perspective that you are shamelessly working with a coach and that you advocate for working with a coach. Mm -hmm. What was the tipping point or what was the light bulb moment for you to say, hey, maybe I need to work with somebody? And what has been the benefit for you in that regard? Yeah, I guess before I even go into that, I, I think just to tell everyone, I mean, look, um, you know, we, you get to define how you want to play the game. Um, and you know, if you, if it's like family's priority, like there's, there's different seasons, right? you like, you can focus more on career and then you have to focus more on family, but you can't do everything at once. And there's your health and all that stuff too. Um, and so you get to craft it, but it, you got to think, I think just a lot of people don't think enough about like what's important to them and how do they want to structure their life? How do they want to design their life? Um, because to your point earlier, like we've both worked at companies, um, big, big companies where, um, you just become a drone. And then before you know it, you know, you're 50, like time flies after, like I, I was just talking with my mom like two weeks ago and she's like, yeah, after you're 30, it's just, before you know it, you're 60. And it certainly feels like that. I'm like, dude, I think by tomorrow, like I'll, I'll feel like I'm, cause I, I do feel like it's, it's time's just going. So anyway, um, I think the, what was your original question again? I keep forgetting. Coaching. Coaching. Yes. Okay. So coaching. Um, I actually hired my first coach when I was 26 because my friend, um, Eric, who has the, um, by the way, you should interview him. He's, he's got the survival blog I was talking about, um, or firearms blog, but yeah, he's like, Hey, I'm working with this coach. I was like, Oh, you know, I'm down to try it. Cause I want to learn more about myself. Um, now, you know, the, the coach I'm working with now, um, well, let me go back, back up a second. So the reason I wanted to hire a coach at the time when I was 26 was just because I'd read a lot of books where a lot of these CEOs, they work with coaches. So I'm like, oh, I want to be like that. So there's no other reason besides like, it sounds good directionally. So I'm going to try it. Um, I will tell you, there's one thing I still carry over from that coach. Every day when I wake up in the morning and I'm brushing my teeth, I have this post-it note and um, he working with me, he uncovered like, you know, these are the three, you know, these are the, the things that are um, you that define you. It's, it's wisdom, wit, power, play, heart, that's just five things. So um, for whatever reason, I've always remembered that, right? So I, I recite that and I recite something from, um, I think it's the um, think and grow rich, right? You know, in order to be successful, desire, faith, plan, action, consistency. So since 23 years old, I've been doing that. 26 years old, I've been doing that from the coach. And you just keep adding these things and it's just positive reinforcement in the morning. It's like, oh, positive reinforcement, but it helps. So um, fast forward to now, I have hired coaches for a couple of people, a um, couple of team members, and um, they love it, right? Because the coach will ask very, um, there's confidentiality and the coach is all about helping them grow, right? Asking them the right questions. It's almost like therapy. It's therapy with someone that's been there before. These people that have done business, right? And um you know, these other people, they like coaching because they like giving back. So my current coach right now, he his name's Jerry Colana. He's known as the CEO whisperer. So he, he makes people cry. Um, he's worked with the Etsy CEO, the SoundCloud CEO, and um, he's got a great book out. It's called Reboot. But um, his company's called Reboot. And he's uncovered incredible things for me. So I, I mentioned the whole slowdown thing. But then the first 
the first time um, he was also talking about, you know, you feel the need to compete because you felt invisible from your friends, from your parents, blah, 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 right? And then you realize these things and you compartmentalize them. And sure, they're there, but you can know how to kind of dance around it when you it's starting to happen. Like, oh, oh crap, I'm starting to compete again. Or, um, you know, all the other things I'm talking about, like slowing down. Like, I've been trying to make a con- conscious effort. I still talk fast, but I'm trying to slow down a little bit when I talk. Uh, because everything I do, if you truly look at it now, it's like, it's just, someone put in the 360 review. Um, Eric moves at his own pace and it's hard to keep up with him. So um, I just see it as like, look, some people get defensive when they get feedback. I love the feedback. And then I take the feedback to my coach and the coach helps me unpack it. And that's worth its weight in gold. So you can pay like $500 a month for a coach. Um, you know, the executive coaches that I work with um, or other people work with, they might be a little more expensive because they're in more demand. So supply and demand. But um I think it's invaluable. And I think one benefit, if you run a company right now, I think every single leader should have a budget for um, people on their team, a coaching budget. And that will help with retention. I think my gut feeling, and I'll have to test this later, maybe I'll write a blog post. If I hire a coach for somebody, my feeling is they will probably stay for another two to three months minimum, right? That's a hard benefit to lose. Which then pays for itself. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about what you do on a day-to-day, um, you produce a ton of content. Um, you have a daily podcast. You have other things where you produce daily content. You are, um, what, whether it is you or a magical team of elves, you seem to be omnipresent across all social channels. One, how do you do it? And two, why do you put so much content out there? Yeah, I think... Um... I'll start with the why, why so much content first. I think right now, even when I'm watching Netflix or whatever, I'll take out my phone, I'll do something else. I think it, people are, ADD is easy and um, attention is just split everywhere. So my goal is reach. Whenever I'm pumping out this much content, with social media, I'm not aiming for quality as much as quantity and I'm aiming for something that's good enough because you never know what's going to hit. You know, the algorithms will decide. Sometimes the the smallest thing that I think are going to be duds, they just blow up. Um and then what ends up happening there is people engage and um, those engagements lead to, you know, other opportunities. So I, I've, um, one guy I've been wanting to interview and um, Anthony Pompliano, he's got a great podcast. I just hit him up on, on, on Twitter DM. Um, but then I was, I was kind of mentioning him in, in passing on, on, you know, through other tweets I was doing. And then he finally follows me and you start to do like all these little micro interactions, they lead to real relationships with people. Like one of my closest friends right now, runs a company called uh, Next Diva. And he found me through the podcast, invited me to speak at his conference. And now we just, we hang out all the time. Um, so it's little touch points I'm aiming for um, right there. And then, you know, at scale. So there's that. How do I do it? Thursdays are typically my podcast day. Sometimes today's Wednesday. Sometimes I'll, I'll you know, I'll do it on other days. But Thursdays in the mornings, um, I'll do my interviews. And then um, in the afternoons, I'll record my videos. And I try to pump everything into Thursday. So I have themes for my days and um, I do have a team. I have a producer. There's um, a bunch of people that write. There's um, someone that makes micro content for social. And um, those are primarily the, primarily the things. And what I'll do on Mondays at 4.30 PM is I actually have a calendar block um, for me to approve. I'll write the captions and I'll write the headlines because that's where you get the biggest bang for your buck. So I, I realized over the years that trying to outsource other people doing the headlines um, is not the best because the headlines is actually what drives a lot of clicks. So, you know, as a marketer, I'm like, okay, I should just probably do that if I'm trying to maximize reach. Um, I know Gary Vee and a lot of these people, they spend their time actually doing the entire thing. 
Um, and he, by the way, he's got a team of like 27 people helping him as well um, on the content side. But that's what it is. I think you're trying to just maximize your reach and um, touch as many people as you can, impact as many people as you can. You have the trust, the authority, the experience, and now the credibility to speak your mind and people listen. A lot of folks listening out there are new to digital media or new to content. Biggest fear, self-limiting doubt factor in their mind is, what do I talk about and who the hell am I to say anything? Yeah. Um, what got you over that ledge? You know what's funny? Um, when I first started doing content, um, I, I would there would be people that would... Um, here's the funny about, I don't know if this is just Asian society. There's this, this crabs in a bucket mentality. And I, I think I would actually do the same thing if I saw someone um, that I felt was maybe not doing as well as me and starting to shoot past me. Like there, you want to drag people down, right? Um, so I, there's a lot of that going on in the beginning. And that, it certainly hurts your confidence. But again, just use it as strength. I, I think that's the one thing I would say. But in the beginning, when let's say you feel like you're a student, you're starting out right now, maybe you don't try to teach first because you're still learning, right? Uh, there's a good post from an investor. His name is Mark Suster. talks about learning before earning. And so if you're learning, but you can still document that journey as you're doing it, you can, I, there's this guy on YouTube, um, you know, he has a company called Gymshark. He literally documented everything from 2011 up to now. You can see him starting, you know, by himself. And now his company is worth $1.4 billion. And so why can't you document the journey in the beginning? And then as you learn, you can start to teach your lessons, right? So I, I think... If you want to do it, um, that's the formula you can use. And I think um, if you want to do it, all of these resources are available to you nowadays um, to to get going. And then at that point, you just have to stay consistent because the first podcast I was doing, Leveling Up, it, it was I was getting only nine downloads a day after the first year. And after the second year, I was only getting 30 downloads a day. And I was working. I probably shouldn't have done it. This is very stupid of me. But I was trying to save single grain at the same time. And I was spending six hours a week. Um, I was doing the interviews. I was doing the show notes. I was posting it, all these things. And But what, what I realized was that, look, it's a long game. But at the same time, I'm optimizing for the wrong KPIs. Forget about the downloads. For, let, let's think about the people that I meet, the conversations, the learnings that I get. Those are worth so much more. And what you want to look for in the beginning, if you really want to look for downloads, look for the you know every once in a while, every month or so, you get a review. And those reviews will keep you going, right? Those are, I don't know why it's not getting more downloads. That's going to motivate you to keep going. There's so many nuggets. Um, we don't micro content, but if we did, we would just take that piece. And I, I want to share with the young people, the best content hack that I think exists right now is reviewing other smart people's stuff. Like go read a book and talk about what you thought about the book, mm -hmm. right? Listen to Eric's podcast and review what you thought he said. You could actually make, and this is, you could actually make a daily podcast just reacting to Eric's daily podcast. Yeah. And guess what? If you do it long enough, Eric will notice it and he might come on and be like, you're wrong, you're right, whatever, right? Like, and, and you're thinking about how can we use the internet, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter to get into these people's minds. Um, you have to figure out how to bring value to them, right? Um, people who do podcasts for a living, reviews are gold, Right. Leave a review, but don't just leave a review, like share your review that you wrote on public forums and tag that person because there's a pretty damn good chance they're going to see it. And, and so this is how you build relationships and KPIs and podcasting, I think is absolutely important. If you focus on the numbers, because the numbers don't tell you anything, you actually don't even know who's listening if you're just looking at the download data. But if the goal is to build your empire, how is this podcast or anything that you're doing helping to build a different foundation so that you can massively grow? on top. 
One thing I want to add to that, yeah. Jerry, is um, you asked about the why earlier. I think probably the most important why, sure, we have KPIs around reach and all that, but um, it's the most defensible thing you can do. It's If you think about Coca-Cola, like it's the brand, right? It's the most, you think about C's Candies, you know, Warren Buffett talks about how profitable C's Candies is. Um, they can charge a premium because they're C's Candies. And so, you know, if you think about it, um, as you look at all these influencers out there, right? You can use Kylie Jenner as an example. You can use Kanye as well. Um, they've got the audience first and they can go around and plug other things into the audience, right? I, I just, I guess I've been fortunate enough. I was thinking about this the other day where I love marketing and for whatever reason, I can build a, a, an audience around that. And then at this point, I can just focus more on, you know, whatever I think I can grow with my audience. Maybe I'll go buy a software company or, you know, more ad agencies, whatever it is exactly, more media companies, um, I'll just plug it in and I'll grow a lot faster and I'm able to support more. So that's, you know, as you build the audience, you'll come up with your own thesis on what else you need to do to impact, you know, your customers more. And um, nobody can ever take that brand away from you. And it takes a long time to build, but um, it is an unfair advantage over, you know, your competitors. Um, so, you know, if you do decide to start a business, even if you don't decide to start a business, I know there's a lot of other um people that just do podcasts for fun and they generate a great site income, you know, right. who, who, who wouldn't want an additional 25 to 50 grand, 75 grand a year. So. And you got to play the long game, right? I think if, if Eric's life and his resume isn't evidence enough that you can traditionally fail at everything, yeah, you know, get multiple jobs, you know, uh, have all the challenges and we're not for the, for the majority of us, overwhelming majority of us, we're not anywhere near the final chapters of our own book, right? So don't let yourself be defined by the podcast that you're working on. Don't let yourself even be defined by, even if you're an entrepreneur, like there's no way, there's a very, very small chance that the company that you're starting now is going to be the last company you ever start. Right. But I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to be defined by logos and traditional culture, particularly Asian culture, you work at X company, therefore you're smart. Yeah. You went to that school, therefore, you know, we put all these people under these bullshit pedestals based on mm -hmm. where they work and where we went to school. And so when we become entrepreneurs, we, we, we keep the same mindset, but then we, you know, change the, change the, uh, the, um, or the, the toy, right. Instead yeah. of like, Oh, you're the CEO of that. Like, that's cool. Cause I've seen that name before. It's got to go back to, you know, your, your human legacy and, and what impact you want to leave in the world and, and, and how many people you want to help. Um, and so look, I, this was such a fun conversation. If you want to listen to every, I mean, so if you're like, man, Eric's got some good shit. I can listen to Eric every day for the rest of my life. You can, you can <laughs> marketing school is a podcast that is on every day of the year, including weekends. As he shared, you know, he hacks that by recording once a week, once, you know, a couple of times a month and, and repurposing that content. You actually do something really unique where you live stream that so that your fans can get a glimpse into your brain, ask questions live to you and Neil. And that's sort of how you get content too, right? You don't have to come up with everything yourself. Part of the content is just reacting to what the, the fan base or the membership wants from you. There's a ton of stuff you can sign up for Eric's newsletter and a whole bunch of other goods on levelingup.com. And as we started the conversation with, he's got an entire video game theme to every aspect of his life. If you're a there's fan a book of coming out for that back too, in the next day, year. There's, a, there's a book coming out for the next year, which you can get the first chapter free if you sign up for his newsletter. And if you're a big nerd, if you're an old school 80s kid and you love Mario, there's dancing coins in every single one of Eric's videos. So <laughs> it's a lot of nostalgia, but it's a lot of great, great practical content. 
you know, we do long form interviews here at the Asian Americans. Short form content also works if you want to hit daily. You had a very, very good podcast maybe a couple of weeks ago on why you need to do a daily podcast because one of the KPIs that advertisers and other people care about, good or bad, is how many downloads do you get? And if you can get one person to listen to you religiously, you can either get one download out of them a week or you can get seven. And if you're trying to monetize in the back end through advertisers and fun stuff, why not go after that seven? And I'm pretty sure for the hour that we just talked, we could have made 20 different episodes if we were having a different sort of conversation. But look, man, I, I think what you're doing is extremely inspirational for me and for a lot of people who are starting to build our own media businesses and trying to take advantage of the opportunities that 2020 has given us. And looking, if you're listening to this on audio, you can't see it, but if you're listening to it on video, I just noticed that the red and black soundboards with the bike looks like you're in a Peloton ad. <laughs> it's because the colors match too. Um, yeah. Share with us some of your, your final thoughts for, um, you know, 2020 has also been a very, very challenging year for young folks, whether their internships have gone kaput or people are taking gap years or, you know, perhaps uh, what you predict to be even darker days ahead in terms of the economy for most people. For our young folks out there, high school, college students who haven't really been told by their parents and by their community and by their schools that there's something else beyond traditional employment, what do you recommend that they do? What books, what resources, any sort of message for them? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole nother, um, I, I think, you know, if I were to donate all my money to charity right now, it would go into education, um, stuff around education reform. I think you cannot rely on the current education system right now. I was talking to somebody else. Um, they just started school this week and it was literally all Zoom classes. And by by 10 a.m., the, the, the student was already completely checked out. This is first grade. Um, and so you have to take matters into your own hands. I think even if you're, look, my, probably one of my biggest regrets is um, I kind of was doing this. I wish my parents caught it and, and helped me double down on it. At nine years old, I started my first MP3 website. Um, I should have gone all in on, um, you know, building online businesses at that point. But I guess my parents couldn't see it. It's not their fault. But if you're nine years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, whatever, it matters when you start. Because Neil, he's been in business for 17 years. He started in high school. I have another friend, Syed. He started in business when he was 12 years old. And the length of how long they've been in business matters a lot. It compounds really well. Just think of it as investing. And I would just start right now. The resources we talked about earlier, there's if you want to learn how to code, codeacademy.com. You can go to um, Khan Academy as well. You can, there's all this stuff available, right? There's marking school for free. There's all this stuff. And so learn on your own terms, figure out what you like. There's a lot of people that teach how to build, you know, Shopify websites right now. Shopify is hot. So take, if you're supposed to go to college, maybe you take that tuition money, put it into that. And that's your MBA right there. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very honest here. I mean, what I learned in college, none of it. I don't like, I went to I went to Econ Tutor, right? All the Asian students went to this thing called Econ Tutor at, at UC San Diego. I hope I don't get him fired for, for saying this all the time. But, um, you know, we would all just, he would basically give us the answers and I would just remember the answers. And I had this, you know, for history stuff, I, I would never go to class. I would go to Wikipedia the day before and then I'll write a paper, automatic B. And so it's like, you know, you can make things matter, make, make things happen on your, on your own terms. Um, don't be plugged into a system that's inefficient and um, have someone else dictate your life. And um, I, I just think, you know, I've, I, I think anybody that just keeps going, I think, um, it, you know, continues to work on the right things, continues to better themselves. I feel like success is inevitable. It, it doesn't have to be within someone else's lenses. Like you create your own journey. Thanks, man. I, those are, those are powerful words. 
I had a very similar conversation with my parents. At one point, this was after I met my wife and my dad was telling when we were all together, like, you know, Jerry used to love commercials as a kid. Like they would tape so much, me and my brother, they would record the commercials. And this was back in the day, like in 80s Korea, where there's like few government channels. So like commercials were all the same, but they would record commercials and play it to us when they wanted us to like entertain or whatever. And so we must have been five or six. Mm. And I told him, I was like, what the fuck, man? Like <laughs> you knew that when I was that young and you still wanted me to go to med school? Like, yeah, take the triggers. Like I, it wasn't even like a hint. It was like, dude, these kids like marketing messages. Yeah. Right. Like these kids like content, like you should have at least encouraged that, but they didn't know. Yeah. Right. Like again, yeah. in their safe mindset of being raised where they were, whether it is in China or Korea, like professional degrees and straight line to that changed their life. So yeah. repeat, rinse and repeat. But so for all the parents listening out there, I, I know it, we're, we're, we're all better and we're more woke as parents, but I don't believe it given what I see on my social media of my friends and stuff. Like, yeah, you know, let's, let's not repeat our parents' mistakes. You know, let's take the clues. Our, our two, three-year-olds communicate with us enough about what they love. Like my three-year-old, like he loves sitting in front of the computer. He goes, Up, I want to make a video. I'm like, dope. Like you don't yeah. have the discipline to make a series out of it, but we have a bunch of stuff that we just record for fun. And I yeah. put it on my personal Facebook wall and my friends think it's the funniest thing in the world. But like, imagine, like you said, get started earlier, mm -hmm. right? Like look at that kid, Ryan, like dude yeah. built like a billion dollar toy empire. Like, yeah, you can start a problem. I mean, I would say for, you know, I think any kids, like what I'm excited about when I have kids is like, you can help them manifest that at four, five, six years old. Yeah. So, and, and never, never even, you know, think that college is the only path to X, Y, Z, right. Yeah. Um, or our dependence on external things. Let's end the show in the same way that we end all of our shows. We like to send inspirational messages to the Asian American community based on our own unique experiences and perspectives. So Eric, help us finish out the show and complete the letter. Dear Asian Americans. Okay. Do you want me to just say anything that, that comes to mind? Any, anything that comes to mind. L say something yeah. to little Eric or somebody who's, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I think to little Eric, I, I've thought about this before. It's just, um, you know, don't worry. Keep going and they'll all be fine. So. And if you are playing video games as you're listening to this or, I don't know, love to go play poker or whatever it is, um, know that you can learn something from that. Even if all you play is Candy Crush or Angry Birds, like don't get so obsessed with the thing. Focus on what you actually, what is drawing you to that and what can you learn even from that obsession to think about how you can apply to something that possibly might generate some money for you. You know, I don't want to demonize any sort of game playing. I love playing games myself too. But, you know, how do you convert that? And as we've seen, through the rise of esports, particularly during the pandemic, dude, people are making a shit ton of money doing literally playing video games for a living. Yeah. And, and so, um, thanks, man. I, I am excited to, to hear what's, what's coming for you. Really, really love seeing you kick ass in the world of podcasting, media, and then content sharing. Extra special because I think you give a lot of hope and inspiration to a lot of young Asian American folks out there who uh, maybe haven't been given enough examples of you know, kids that look like us to do what you do. I know it is a interesting time for you to be running multiple digital businesses. So whatever is next for you in that realm, hope all is well with you in downtown. Even though we're in the same town, we probably won't see each other for a minute, but be well and uh, best of luck to you, man. Cool. Appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. 
learned a lot. Hope you did as well. I uh, want to thank Eric again for joining us on the show. I know he's got a very busy schedule, uh, but wanted to thank him for taking time to share with us his story and his lessons and his outlook in the world of marketing and storytelling. If you didn't catch it earlier, you can follow Eric on Instagram and or Twitter. That's Eric Osu, E-R-I-C-O-S-I-U. You can find the links in the show notes. Share this episode with anybody who you think needs to listen to Eric's story and learn from him as well. Subscribe to his podcast at Marketing School and at Leveling Up. All those links will be available to you in the show notes or in the description if you are finding this on social media. Follow us on social media at The Asian Americans wherever you can on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Because of the letters, we are just Dear Asian Am. Send us a note or uh, shoot us an email. Hello at Dear Asian Americans. Be more than happy to engage with you, answer your questions, and to chat with you. Thank you to all of our members on our Patreon. If you want to support the show through a donation, you can join us at patreon.com slash Americans. Find the link in the show notes. And a big shout out to everybody who has supported us along the way. Thanks again for listening. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. We are working on some amazing content for the future. And starting next week, we're going to turn into a once a week show starting on the 29th of September. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in. If you have any suggestions for guests or topics or anything related to that, please do shoot me a note. Uh, you can DM us through the inbox at the Years Americans. And again, email us at hello at the Americans.com. Wherever you are, when you're going to be listening to this, I wish you all the health, safety, and happiness in the world. Please don't forget to smile. Please don't forget to vote. And I will see you this Friday. This has been your host, Jerry Wan of the Asian Americans. Thanks for listening.